0: Hello, friends, (laughs) and welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Dimmitt, and I am recording this from a parking lot in Estes Park, Colorado. My guest today is Neely Quinn. Many of you will know Neely as the host of the Training Beta Podcast, and it was a real treat to have her on This was one of my most favorite episodes, actually. We had a lot of fun and we had a lot to talk about. Neely recently made a big announcement on her own podcast that she has decided to step down from her role as podcast host and to pass that on to her friend Alex Steiger, who is one of her coaches at Training Beta. There's a lot more going on at Training Beta than just the podcast, and Neely is excited to focus her energy on other parts of the business. And I heard that announcement and I thought it would be a really cool opportunity to sit down with Neely and ask her what she's learned from hosting over 160 episodes of her podcast. So that was the focal point of our conversation, but we talked about a lot more than that. We talked about Neely's background and where the idea for Training Beta came from in the first place. And of course, we got into nutrition as well. Neely is a nutritionist and does nutrition coaching through Training Beta. And we talked about her own health journey and how she discovered the paleo diet and what that did for her. And we talked about what her diet looks like nowadays. We also talked about some of the most common food sensitivity symptoms that she encounters in her clients through her coaching. And she shared some of her top nutrition recommendations rock climbers and they were pretty simple it was interesting i was expecting her to be more paleo focused but um, her recommendations were a little more laid back than i had expected it was really informative lots of good stuff in this interview and a lot of fun talking with neely and i hope you like it please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with climber podcaster nutritionist and entrepreneur neely quinn Well, cool. I'm, I think we're ready to go. I was really curious as I was getting ready for this. Have you, what does it feel like to be on this side of the mic? Have you done any other podcast interviews before?
1: Yeah, I have done podcast interviews. Um, I was on the power company, podcast once and uh i di- i've done a bunch of podcast interviews with when i was in the paleo world oh sure but it's 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 like nerve-wracking you know i get really nervous and you know you just ask me do i want to put on headphones and that's like the first thing i ask my guests like can you please put on headphones and here i am like what headphones <laughs> so yeah it's a little bit weird
0: <laughs> Do you get more nervous being interviewed or doing the interviewing?
1: Definitely being interviewed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Sure. I'm I'm new to that. I've just started doing a few of them and it's it's really helpful actually to experience it on the other side and realize what it feels like to not have control out of not have control over what someone puts on the internet, you know? I'm like you you finish up and you're like, "Did I sound like an idiot? Like what what did I say? <laughs> Was that okay?" I know.
1: I know, especially for me, I can be like a little bit harsh sometimes, which I I hide a lot on the podcast, but sometimes I'm like, did I say anything super offensive? Like, so, and which, by the way, I I guess that episode that I did with Chris on the power company, it really did flare some people up. So watch out, people.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. A spicy episode coming up. Yeah, right. Well, Neely, you and I have quite a number of things in common, and I want to touch on a couple in particular. I was looking at your Instagram this morning, and of course, we both host rock climbing podcasts with, you know, a lot of interest in training, and we both like to geek out on that, and we both love rifle and the obvious things, but I was looking at your Instagram bio, you know, that little profile that you write at the top, and it says Neely Quinn, And it says nutritionist, podcast host, founder of Training Beta. Yeah, we all know that stuff. And then it says also climber, traveler, pianist, and singer. And I did not know that about you. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I was, I've played music my whole life. I did a a bachelor of arts in music in college and music's kind of always been part of my life. And I, I wouldn't call myself a pianist by any stretch, but I studied composition. So I had to learn some piano. And voice is actually my main instrument. So I had oh, no idea that we had that in common. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. I did piano in college for a semester and then stopped. But yeah, I've been playing piano since I was five and singing since I was tiny, you know? And so I I hear you. And it's not something that people really talk about. And it's such probably a big part of your life.
0: It is funny. I, you know, I moved to Bend In 2013, and kind of started like my adult life, you know, in a new state. I moved from Washington and no one knew me there. And until I started doing the podcast, almost none of my friends at Smith Rock or in Bend even knew that about me. They had no idea that I had this background in music, which is, it's funny how important it was to me for so long and then how completely disconnected it's become from the rest of my yes. life yeah
1: i totally know what you mean well maybe you need to combine the two and do a singing podcast episode a couple times
0: i could say the same about you <laughs> 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 can can you find any of your music on the internet anywhere
1: oh no no <laughs> i've i've always hated performing actually mm. i've always only done it myself just because of the way it makes me feel. And so performing, I cannot know. But in if I had had like an alternative universe life, I would have wanted to be like a famous pop singer. <laughs> totally.
0: Yeah. That's so funny. My my daydream before getting into rock climbing and having like the dirt bagger traveling around living in my van daydream was to do the exact same thing, but as like a rock star, you know, like live on the right. road and travel and play shows and stuff.
1: Well, so can we find your stuff on the internet?
0: Also, no. No, there's hardly anything. Yeah, (laughs) there might be some like (laughs) very old recordings from college, but I don't even know if those are still, yeah, they might be buried, but. Well, that's sad. I know, I know. I I have, I still have kind of like this bucket list uh, future career, maybe a couple decades out where I want to dive into music and put out an album and stuff, but. That's for later in life, I think. I'm pretty psyched on what I'm doing now. But it is really interesting. Like, I have to wonder for you, do you feel like there's some connection between either singing or just music in general and hosting a podcast? Because yeah. you have that background. I have that background. Chris kalous plays music. And so does Chris Hampton. He was a rapper mm-hmm. and music producer and whatnot. So that's fascinating. Like, how weird is that?
1: Yeah, it is weird, actually. I never thought about all of the people who are into music and climbing, but I have thought about that a lot actually. And I feel like um, for me as a classical pianist, um, for me, I, it, it was projects. Like from the time I was five years old, I would, each piece was a project and you practice it and you break it down into pieces and like smaller pieces and you work on it and you break your back doing it and <laughs> and then it's done and you memorize it and it's amazing. Um, and so I think, and it's just problem solving. And I feel like that's exactly what climbing is for me, at least is having projects and breaking them down. Hmm. What do you think?
0: Yeah, that totally. Yeah. I think that's really interesting and you totally Nailed it. There's also this kind of element of creativity. I was, I'm always more focused in, uh, I I guess a balance. I studied music theory, which was really interesting and then composition. So there was always this kind of exploring the new within the framework that, you know, is laid out for you and learning the rules, but then learning how to break the rules and that sort of thing. So I don't know, maybe that's like the creativity of on-sighting or something. I don't know what to compare that to. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I don't know either. And that's not something I was ever into. I, I had this one girl who was in my sort of class for piano um, performance, and she would always just go off script for like Beethoven or Rachmaninoff pieces. Oh, and wow. Her professor was like, what are you doing? But also it's kind of cool. And I was always like, I can't even imagine being that creative. I've always just kind of stayed within the lines mm. in that way. And in fact, um, when I just had wrist surgery, I was like, I need to get into something because I can't climb for a long time. So I actually started to try to write my first song, like a pop song. Oh, and wow. It is awful. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, again, I have like such huge respect for people like you who are composers.
0: Well, I would not call myself a composer. I studied it a decade ago and then, you know, became an engineer. So. <laughs>
1: Stay within the line.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that's really interesting. That's another connection. I mean, you've built this incredible business and building training beta from the ground up, I can't imagine that that felt like coloring within the lines. You know, you had a career before that and then you took this big leap. Um, Where did that come into play? Did that feel like a bold new step or did you have, you know, a plan all mapped out?
1: Yeah. When I actually, two minutes ago, when I said I always stay between the lines, as I was saying it, I was like, but that's actually just been for music because Mm. the rest of my life has been pretty weird. (laughs) 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 You know, I, I, I could go into all the things, but number one, I don't like having a boss and I never have, like from the time I was a kid, I just hate having a boss telling me what to do. And so, um, training beta was born out of me having a necessity to have a company that I ran Um, And so I think that just that prerogative of having no boss has made me become creative with how to run and build a business. Mm. But I also had a lot of um, influence. So before I came into the climbing world, I was in the, like I was telling you before, the paleo nutrition world. And I worked for a guy on this Website called Paleo Plan. And I was the nutritionist and I helped do the meal plans on the subscription program. And I helped build the website and do all these big programs and stuff. And so when I built Training Beta, I was like, I know that this can work because I've seen it work here. And so Mm. I kind of built it kind of off of what I had learned there.
0: Got it. Yeah, that's that makes sense. That's interesting. So from the start, you had this much bigger business in mind versus just the Training Beta podcast.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. No, the podcast was actually a complete afterthought. What I had started (laughs) doing was, um, I was like, I'm going to make a subscription service, which we do have. We have two subscriptions, the root training program and the bouldering training program. And, um, and I was like, well, I need to let the world know about this and I need to like get information about training out there. So I'm going to make videos. And so I, I, I videoed interviews with all my famous climbing friends because, you know, they're all over Boulder. And and then, and then I was like, wait a second, that's dumb. Why don't I just do a podcast with these interviews? <laughs> so, the like I said, it was a total afterthought.
0: Oh, that's so funny. That's great. Yeah. I want to dig into where the spark for training beta for that idea in particular came from. You know, for me, I started this thing really to scratch my own itch. There was a super geeky super you know in the weeds detailed podcast around climbing and around performance and training that I wanted to listen to and I finally just decided to make it myself. Um was that was it similar for you? Did you were you scratching your own itch with the training stuff or were you just talking to people and perceiving that there was that was where a need was and you could build a business from that? Where did the idea come from?
1: Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to scratch an own itch, your own itch in order to build something. So, mm. big, you know, I mean, even just the podcast is a it's a huge undertaking and you have to be interested in it to to make yourself do it so yes for sure i mean i was i've been really into climbing for uh 25 years now 26 i don't know i don't even know if i want to admit how long i've been (laughs) climbing but like really into it (laughs) and and after a while, I was like, look, I need to get stronger and I need to find resources online. And I started looking and like the only person really who was talking about these things at the time or the people were Eric Hurst and Steve Bechtel. And they had some great information, but I just wanted more. And I wanted like a program that somebody would just give to me, you know? And <laughs> so that's what it was born out of. But also, I don't think I've ever told anybody this in the climbing world, but um, I actually got fired from my paleo job because I had sort of a falling out with the guy I was working with. And he fired me on a Friday and my husband, Seth, and I were freaking out because it was our main source of income. And we just laid in bed for like two days thinking of businesses. And it was actually Seth's idea to come up with training beta. And I was like, that's perfect because I'm interested in this and so many other people are. And so that's where it was born. I did get rehired that Monday.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's, that's hilarious.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I was able to keep, so I, I I got to keep my job and start training beta on the
0: Mm. side. Yeah. That's really cool to have a safety net while you're building something new.
1: Yeah. It's really important. I think
0: That's so intriguing. Like, did he just, did your boss just was he in a bad mood on Friday and then he had some time to think about it or
1: something? Yeah, That's exactly what happened. No, I was like, look, I'm working so hard for you. I want ownership in this business. And he got Mm. really mad and fired me. And then over the weekend, he was like, ah, I realized that you do a lot for me and you're kind of irreplaceable. So can you please come back?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what happened from there? How did you, did you have a detailed plan? I'd love to just hear how you started building training beta and how you planned your exit from that company?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I was like, well, I'm not a trainer. I've never been a trainer. A lot of people think I'm a trainer, but I'm definitely not. I feel like I could probably train people just because of all the seminars I've done and all of the hundreds of hours of podcasting I've done. But I, I definitely, that's not my thing. So I started looking for trainers and ended up with so Chris Peters and Justin Chong were kind of a big deal back then as team of two and they were training climbers all over the world really. And so I asked uh, Chris to create some programs for us. And so it was, it's a revenue split basically. Like I get part, he gets part. And then I added a bunch of other programs in there since then. Mm. So no, I didn't have like a master plan. I just knew that I wanted subscription programs because they're very reliable. Um, and, and I knew that I wanted to do some eBooks, which we've done. And I knew I wanted to do nutrition cause that's actually my profession. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of built it and built it and built it. And now it's what it is. <laughs> Not saying that it's like this big thing. It's just,
0: no, it time. is, it is Neely. It's wildly yeah. successful. It's awesome. You guys have like close to 30,000 Instagram followers and 170 podcast episodes. That's amazing. You've really built something.
1: Thanks. So no, I appreciate that. And sometimes I'm just like totally blown away by it. I was looking at my Google analytics the other day to try to figure out what people like really want to hear about. And I, I wrote this blog post a long time ago and it was like how to lose weight for climbing or something, which I would never write now for the record. Like, yeah. That was eight years ago. It's not appropriate, but um, not that what I said in it was uh, inappropriate, but anyway, totally digression. But anyway, I looked and it has like, Almost 300,000 reads. I was wow. like, what? <laughs> That's amazing. And the podcast has like 4 million downloads or something. And sometimes I'm just blown away by that. So thank you to everybody.
0: <laughs> that is incredible. That's incredible. And I mean, that, not to go down this rabbit hole, but I think that is interesting. That article, you know, like you said, it's not necessarily appropriate to. To talk about that, you know, we've we have this great documentary that um Carolyn Treadway put out, light and all that stuff. And people are talking more about eating disorders. I've talked about that myself, but it is interesting because, you know, people still want to perform at their best and they still some of them want to lean out and lose some body fat and, you know, try to target a, a performance window to climb their project. And I think I think we have to find this is something I've been thinking about a lot as someone who's talked about an eating disorder. Like, there's got to be some middle ground where we can help people get healthier and perform at their best and teach them how to do that in a healthy way so that people don't do what I did and make all the mistakes I did and end up with an eating disorder.
1: Yeah. I didn't actually know that you did have an eating disorder. That's really cool that you were able to come out and talk about that. And I'm sorry to hear that.
0: No, it's okay. It's, it was really, um, performance oriented first. I was really obsessed. I mean, it's a longer story. I did a whole solo podcast about it for people that are interested, but very short version is I got a DEXA scan that gave me a falsely high result. So I thought mm-hmm. I had a lot more body fat to lose than I had. And it was, it was way off. It told me I was you know 17% body fat and I was probably 11 at the time. So I really started targeting this specific number on the scale. Cause I thought I could get there without losing much lean mass. And I thought I'd be healthy at that weight. And it, I just lost a lot of muscle. I, I got really skinny and screwed up my hormones and then really rebounded from that. And it was the rebound that was the really dark, psychologically messy, um, really ugly couple of years where I just felt a lot of shame and a lot of, um, yeah, just developed a lot of really negative, unhealthy kind of binge and, and restrict cycles and bad eating patterns. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think that a lot of people can relate with you, honestly. I am wondering, did you get a bunch of feedback from people who were like, thank you for telling your story. I've I've gone through similar things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The support's been really amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: but And I've gone through it myself. And... I think it's super important to talk about these things and just be open about it. Because part of your shame was just like, probably not talking about it with people, not being out in the open with it, not getting help from people. And I think a lot of us go through that. And it's crazy too, because when you start restricting like that, it just affects your mood so much. And so it's like this deep spiral that happens where you feel crappy, And then you restrict more and then you feel crappier Mm -hmm. and it just like goes on until you're like, wait, I have to stop this. So yeah, Yeah. there's a lot that goes into it, but, but on that topic, I do like, yes, it is super important for people to not try to lose weight in an unsustainable way um, and to learn how to do it sustainably if they want to do it. And I think we're all learning that like, You can be healthy at any size. There's no reason to like body shame people. We're being more sensitive now, I think with our language about body sizes. Having said that though, I have plenty of clients who really do have a legitimate, they they have room to lose fat. And there are always going to be people who come to me saying, I want to lose five or 10 or 20 pounds. And they legitimately can with without being unhealthy with it. And so I don't think that it's shameful to talk about weight loss um, or fat loss, especially as climbers, like it does make a difference. And yes, we can strength train to compensate for it. But if we do have some weight to lose, like why not? Especially if we can do it in a really sustainable way. And that's what I try to do with my clients who want to lose fat is like, get them to have energy, you know, sleep well, Drink plenty of water. Eat good food that's going to nourish them and help them recover. And on top of it, lose a little bit of fat very in a slow way. So I, I know that that's maybe going to set some nutrition practitioners off right now. And but that's just the reality of it. No, you're you're never going to have people like always accepting their body all of the time. It's just not going to happen.
0: Right. And like I said, that's what I've been thinking about a lot lately. Like having put out that episode that was a really important message for me to share. Like, hey, you know, don't worry about this to the extent that I was. Just give your body what it needs and trust that it's going to get stronger. But then on the other side of the coin, I really want to empower people who do want to change, you know, their health and their body in some positive way. Because I almost, I I worry that we've kind of gotten to this mode where we're taking away some of that agency from from people who want to change their bodies, you know, and and be healthier than they've been in the past. So finding that balance and and talking about both sides of that, I don't know how to do that yet. I think that's really tricky.
1: Yeah. I think it's tricky too, but I, I feel like it's my responsibility to be able to talk about both sides of it without, you know, being afraid to, because I feel like that's where we're going to is, is we're, we're afraid to even discuss the idea of losing fat. And for some people it works very well and it's sustainable and it's and it's fine and they feel happier and they climb harder. So and then and then there are plenty of people who I work with on the flip side of that who are like I climb five eleven and I want to lose five pounds so that I can climb you know five twelve. And I'm like, look, that's the least of your worries. You know, like there are We also need to get our priorities straight and understand that weight is definitely not everything. And most of it is strength and a lot of it is our mindset. Mm. So yeah, I think it's just a balancing act, like you're saying. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I want to dig into the nutrition side a little bit. And another thing that popped onto my radar looking at your Instagram bio is that you're an author and I had forgotten that or missed that. And I was, I got really curious. I'm like, okay, did she write a book? about training beta that I missed somewhere along the line. And I Googled it and I found your, uh, the complete idiot's guide to eating paleo. And I think yeah. this predates all of training beta and, and what you're doing now, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you were doing uh, before this. I think this was when you were at paleoplan.com yeah. and your background in nutrition. And, you know, is that something that you wanted to integrate into training beta or yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear more about your background with that and what you are doing before.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I started a blog on my own because um, I was trying to be a nutritionist in Boulder, just seeing clients face-to-face for a long time. And I'm not very good at self-promotion, so that didn't ever pan out. And that's why I went online with Paleo Plan and I had discovered paleo worked really well for my body before that. And I was like, Oh, well, I'm going to get into this community. So then I went with, I I got with paleoplanet. I started writing a lot for that site and the idiots guide people at penguin, they recruited me to write that book. And so I did that. And it turns out writing a book, at least for me, was not very lucrative. It was a lot of work and it was something I've always wanted to do because I've always been into writing. Um, But I I've never written a book for training beta because it's just, I don't know, it just doesn't have the payoff that I need while also trying to run a business, you know, it t- it, it took all of my time to write that book for like four months straight. Um, and again, I would never take that back. It was an amazing experience. But I, um, yeah, that's kind of where that came from. I'm not sure if you have specific questions.
0: Well, I guess I'll read a little clip from your bio. Um, I was reading your Amazon bio when I found that book, and this is the second half of it. So Neely graduated from the University of Wisconsin, Madison, with a double major in psychology and zoology. After graduation, she became sick with various symptoms. And after a couple of years of unsuccessfully going through the conventional medical route, out of desperation, she finally came to nutrition. She changed her diet and when her symptoms started improving, she realized the profound impact that food has on health. Eating paleo has helped her improve her health even more. She moved to Colorado from Wisconsin in 2001 because of the opportunities there for rock climbing. And she lives in Boulder there with her boyfriend and dog. They are paleo too.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they are. <laughs> um, yeah, I I did, I had, I've just had like really weird health stuff since I was about 19. It all started when I went to the Petrero Chico, actually, when I was like 21 or 22 and I drank the water there and I got, I think I got a parasite or something, Mm. but I just never really got better. And then my digestion went down the tubes. I had terrible skin issues. I had like awful, awful acne as an adult. um, I, I had itchy skin. I was dizzy all the time. I was tired all the time. I couldn't digest anything. I went mostly blind in one of my eyes. Oh my God. Yeah, it was like really intense. I got, this is when the, the my depression started because I was so scared. I just didn't know what was wrong with me. And so I went to this health food store in Florida because I was staying with my aunt, just trying to recover. And she was like, you need to change your diet and take these supplements. And I started doing that. And I was like, Oh, this actually works. All <laughs> well, the doctors were just like, well, we don't actually know what to tell you. Or yes, we can confirm that you can't see out of your left eye. Or yes, we can confirm that you're dizzy. And I'm like, well, thanks guy. But um, so yeah, the, the nutrition thing, I I went to school, I went to this, I was about to become an RD at the University of Uh, or sorry, Colorado State University in Fort Collins, because that's where I used to live. And then I was like, I don't really agree with what they're going to teach me there. So I found this other little program and that's what I did. It was called Seven Bowls. And you can make fun of that all you want. But (laughs) it was a four-year program where I learned all about holistic nutrition and, and conventional nutrition as well, but then like herbs and homeopathy and Chinese medicine and all kinds of stuff. And so from there, I just changed my own diet and helped other people change their own diet and just saw like amazing results with it. And that's why I'm, I'm so passionate about it and still, you know, still figuring things out for myself, but I've definitely made big strides, Mm. I would say with my health.
0: What were you eating before? Do you remember?
1: I remember the first day of nutrition school. (laughs) I had gone to a gas station to get breakfast and I was eating fig newtons for breakfast. And my teacher was like, what are you eating? (laughs) (laughs) Not that there's anything like terribly wrong with fig newtons, but it's not like the most nutritious breakfast. Um, Just normal (laughs) stuff. I was also a vegetarian for a long time. And I think that that just didn't work for my body. And so I really messed it up with that. I was like a, you know, a starchitarian and a cheese head. <laughs> <So that's, laughs> like in college, you know, I gained 30 pounds or something and <clears throat> I was just eating pizzas and bagels with peanut butter and tons of cookies. And so I had a, you know, I had, I tried to lose that weight forever and couldn't. And so I had to figure out how to sustainably lose weight. And so a lot of my experience has been like personal too. I feel like I've gone through a lot of stuff that people come to me with.
0: You've worked with a lot of clients now. How individual are your solutions for people? You know, is the paleo diet, is does that work for most people or does it totally depend? Because I'm always fascinated by the <laughs> testimonials that you can find no matter what diet you look into. It's just, it's fascinating. Oh
1: yeah. No, no. I, just to be very clear, I almost never recommend the paleo diet. Oh, interesting. No, I, yeah. It's just, it's really difficult for people to maintain and I really only recommend it for people who have severe digestive issues. And it, it's only temporarily, honestly, for those people while they are, they heal. I think that it is to be truthful, like the least inflammatory diet. And so if it was easier to do and cheaper to do, I would probably recommend it to people, but it just takes a lot of effort and most people don't need it. Like people can you know, I always think of my grandma, she's like 99 years old. She's been eating ham sandwiches on white bread and like spaghetti, you know, for her whole life. And she's totally fine, like legitimately. And so people can, we're all very different in what our needs are. And so my approach to people is very individual. And um, like my percentages of macronutrients even are really different for every person.
0: Hmm.
1: not really different, but you know, a little bit different.
0: How do you tease that out with each person? Are you like measuring specific things? Is it blood work? Like, how do you decide what, what you're going to try for a a new client?
1: Honestly, it's just experience. It's like a lot of failure Hmm. where people are like, no, this isn't working. And, and then you change things and they're like, oh, this is working. And now, you know, that when this, you know, five, 10, relatively lean, healthy guy comes to you and he wants to lose weight, you can put him on 35% carbs and 25% protein and he'll probably do well. And if he doesn't, it's like a matter of, you know, two to five percentage points that you're going to change it by. Hmm. So it's, it's not, it, yeah. It, and there are plenty of other things that could probably work for, you know, a lot of people, well, that's not true. <laughs> it's just what I have found works. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you don't often recommend paleo necessarily. What are some of the things that you recommend to most people? Are there common themes is, you know, this could be things to include or things to avoid. You could take it either way.
1: Yeah. One of the big things that I see people doing is eating a lot of sugar. And, you know, so I'll, I'll, I look at people's diet logs and, at the end of the day, you can see how many grams of sugar they've had. And a lot of times people are in like the hundred to 200 gram range. And that's the the kind of thing that's going to really affect people's mood, their energy levels, their sugar cravings and their sleep. And so if I can get people below like 40 or 50 grams on a regular, on a normal day, on a big climbing day outside, it's going to be different, but in a normal day, most of the time and change a lot of their carbs back into starch instead of the sugar. A lot of times that makes people's energy go up. They don't have the afternoon slump. You know, they, they don't have as many sugar cravings, which is really problematic for a lot of people. And then protein is usually too low for people. I normally see people come into me between 10 and 18% protein, and I like to get it between 20 and 30 for most climbers, just because we're, we're trying to either recover or fuel recover from or fuel for activity. And so we've got to keep it high. It's okay. not high, it's definitely not high, like, so, but it, higher than what, what they're normally doing.
0: What would those percentages be in like grams of protein per day?
1: Yeah, so roughly. I like to see a minimum, unless it's a really small person, like my size or smaller, I'm, I'm five, five feet, five one, I don't know, somewhere in between those. But I like to see a minimum of a hundred grams a day. And you can even do that on a plant-based diet. You just have to be focused on it a little bit. And for a bigger guy, you know, you're looking more at like 130, 140. So that means that you're breaking it up to like 30 to 40 grams a meal and then some in your snacks. Okay. And so what that is, is like, you know, if you're a meat eater, it's like four to six ounces of meat or some eggs and some dairy with a little bit of, meat or just eggs and dairy, you know, you can, you can make all kinds of combinations and then some people will use like whey protein or a vegan protein to supplement.
0: Okay. You mentioned moving from more sugar to replacing that with starches. Do you have any favorite starches that you recommend for people?
1: Um, honestly, that depends on the person. And a lot of times people will be like, well, I know that when I eat bread, I don't feel good. Or I know when I eat oatmeal, it kind of messes with my stomach. So I just go with what people can tolerate, but it's basically anything fluffy and delicious, you know, like <laughs> your rice or, uh, bread or pasta. Or, and I'm not a super fan of gluten. Like I think that a lot of people could do better if they didn't eat gluten. Cause it, it can be pretty inflammatory for a lot of people, um, in weird ways, like a lot of times people will just have fatigue from it or they'll get skin issues from it and mm. things that they don't really co- uh, correlate with food. Um, but other things are like sweet potatoes, potatoes, um, oats, things like that.
0: Any weird ingredients or artificial things or anything that we should avoid that a lot of people might eat without realizing that they're eating it. If they're eating like yeah. a standard American diet?
1: Like you said, weird ingredients and artificial things. Okay.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I I just think that we evolved for a long, long time eating like stuff that you food. would definitely recognize. Yeah, food. You don't, there's just no reason to, on top of all of the other environmental chemicals that we're exposed to, to also just be trying to put it into your body. Mm. So and, and a lot of times those things are hidden and you, you know, you don't know that acid sulfate and potassium is, is um, a, a fake sugar. And so you, you kind of have to just look at ingredients and be like, do I know what this means? No. Okay. Then I'm not going to eat it or I'm going to look it up and take the time to do that.
0: What are you eating these days?
1: Um, <laughs> I, So I, there, it's more about what I don't eat because over the years, I'm like, all right, well, when I eat these things, this is what happens to me. And I'm a nutritionist. So I'm like pretty, I'm more focused on it than some people are. Um, So you might think that I'm a little OCD with this, but my main motivator here is I really like to be comfortable as often as possible. And so like, if some food's going to make my stomach hurt, I'm just not going to eat it or if it's going to do something weird to me. So I don't eat dairy. I don't eat grains. I don't eat, um, I don't eat chocolate. I don't drink caffeine and and I eat some sugar for sure, but just not very much. So like my breakfast is just uh, a flat bread that I make out of cassava flour with um, like sausage and turkey and vegetables all sauteed together in some olive oil. And then my lunches are like some sort of salad with a little bit of bread and some sort of meat and then my dinner is some meat and some veg. And, and then I have, I just found this cereal that I can eat. <laughs> so that's what and is so it? it at night. It's called forager and it's made out of cassava. Okay, um, And that's one of the paleo it's not a grain. It's a, it's just a root cassava or tapioca is similar. And so those are the kinds of things I eat, but you know, sometimes I'll have like ice cream or cookies that I can eat or I'll make stuff sweets that I can eat um I'll have I, I switch it up but I also don't eat nuts and seeds because I realized that it made me feel like I had tendinitis mm. when I do and and I think a lot of people have that and they just don't even know it because I I've realized it with some of my clients and like some family members also have it so in my limit my diet is pretty limited but I honestly just don't really care that much anymore
0: That's, that's really interesting. I want to dig into a couple of those specific things. Why chocolate? What, what were you noticing with chocolate?
1: So, um, I, one, that was part of the thing that was giving me acne. And it was one trip, I went to Florida and my mom was like, what is wrong with your skin? And and I was like, okay, I need to do something about this. (laughs) What I have, figured out is like the thing that I crave the most oftentimes is the thing that is bothering me.
0: Oh, and what a, what a it, bitch.
1: It, that's- <laughs> I, I don't think it's that uncommon. It's like, if I get a chocolate bar and I cannot stop myself from eating the entire thing, like, first of all, that's a problem. Cause it's not good for me. Like I don't feel good after I do it. So I just stopped. I just sort of experimented with it and the zits went away, but also I it also gives me migraines and I get mm. ocular migraines, which are really scary. Um, and so that I just, yeah, that's why I no chocolate.
0: Interesting. I've been tinkering with my own diet for years now, and I've, I've gone strict paleo. I've tried a lot of different things. And one thing that's been really fascinating to me with this whole thing is how subtle some of these symptoms can be and how truly difficult it can be to pinpoint like a specific ingredient. You know, for me, I think I feel better when I avoid dairy and I think I feel better when I avoid gluten, but it's these like very subtle things. Like I have some psoriasis and that seems to flare up a little bit and my joints feel maybe a little creakier and my lower back feels a little bit creaky or, or I have a little lower back pain that's not usually there. But it's so subtle that I, I almost wish it were more overt. Like I had, you know, gut pain after I ate something. So I would know definitively what to avoid. Um, but I'm, I'm just curious, I guess, what are some of the common symptoms aside from just someone coming to you and saying, Hey, I want to lose some extra body fat. What are some of the things that people come to you uh, hoping to improve and, uh, common symptoms that people might not be thinking about that are tied to food?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I hear you. And I used to work with this food sensitivities test and because I was like, I just want to know for sure. But it turns out that there's really not a good test. And if you go to a conventional doctor, they're going to give you just like the most random specific tests that really don't tell you if you have food sensitivities. So I don't recommend doing, going that route with it. It's easy. To just experiment. And even when I did do those tests, it was like there were so many false positives and so many false negatives that then you're just super anxious because you think you have a pineapple issue, but you don't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can't eat anything.
1: (laughs) I know, yeah. Um, It's like really stressful. So my sort of approach with that is I kind of have a hierarchy of foods that typically bother people. And it's like gluten and then dairy and then all grains and then seeds and nuts there's eggs in there too. So there are these foods that are pretty common and then soy is in there. So if I see that somebody's eating a lot of something, then it's easy to be like, okay, well, let's just experiment with this for seven days. Just don't eat it at all. On the eighth day, you'll eat it a bunch. And then it's easier to see if you have like obvious symptoms like that, but you're right. Sometimes it's just not super obvious and you have to kind of keep experimenting with it and notice things. But, um, the things that people come to me with are a lot of times energy levels. Like I was saying, mm. that's a, probably the biggest one is that people, they have the energy slump during the day, the afternoon, they're re- they're requiring a ton of caffeine to get through the day. And then they don't sleep well, um, which is oftentimes just from the caffeine that they're drinking to get through their day. And um, that, and then sometimes people have some digestive issues like, constipation, diarrhea, um, gas and bloating that we can kind of take care of. And all of those things are highly related to food for sure. And, um, the biggest thing that I like to impart to people is that you don't like, you can fuel yourself with food and not caffeine. And if you do it the right way and consistently throughout the day, your energy will improve. And Mm. a lot of times food sensitivities will come into that and cause fatigue as well.
0: Hmm.
1: and weight gain. Like when I was trying to lose that weight that I had gained in college, I tried everything too. And I was like exercising all the time. And then I took out gluten after my fifth attempt at taking out gluten from my diet. And I lost like 15 pounds in a month and a half or something crazy. Oh, wow. Because a lot of it was just water weight. And that's what food sensitivities will do to you. Or it's, it, it's what they can do to you.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So when you, when you list off those, uh, that hierarchy and those culprits, you know, you listed off gluten and grains and dairy and seeds and nuts and, um, you know, whatever else I'm guessing a lot of people listening to this are going to be like, well, damn, what do I eat then? Like what's left to eat?
1: No, I mean, that's like the hierarchy of you figure out what, and this is only if you have major complaints, right? If your life is good don't do any of this yeah but if you have a big complaint then yeah then you look at like what am i eating the most of and is this in the hierarchy and then just experiment with that one single thing okay experiment with all of it like that's really stressful and it's it's really confusing because then what then Mm. you've put one back in for three days and continue eating this whole different weird diet So just one at a time, unless people are very sick. And then I'm like, all right, we're taking these three things out and we're going to see how you do.
0: Okay. How would you guide someone through like an elimination like that? Like say, I'll use myself as an example here. So I don't have any major complaints, but like I said, I have a little skin issue that I'd like to clear up. I think it might be dairy. I think it might be gluten. I've gone off both of those, um, you know, quite a lot over the last few years. I still eat some nuts, which I could try eliminating. How long should I go away from, you know, if I, if I were to just remove tree nuts, for example, how long should I go off of that? And then how would I bring it back in to test it?
1: Well, that would actually not be my first question for you. My first okay. question would be, you said that you went strict paleo for a while. Did you do that? Mm-hmm. And you didn't eat grains. You didn't eat dairy on the, in that time. right? And did your psoriasis get any better
0: it got a little better it didn't totally go away but it did improve
1: and was there something that you added to your diet in that time that you weren't eating a lot of before
0: Mm, i was probably eating more coconut products and more avocado and probably more nuts yeah
1: so these are the kinds of questions that i would ask to try to get to the bottom of it it's like what has worked in the past what makes it worse um and then go from there so what I would probably do is if you've gone off dairy before and haven't seen a big, you know, if you've gone off both of them and you saw a little bit of a response, but not completely, then I would probably take out the nuts and the dairy and the gluten, but that's also really difficult. And so I don't know that I would go that far just yet. I would probably have like, have you add in some collagen and some, uh, some probiotics to try to, to get things less inflamed Hmm. Um, and then potentially experiment with just the nuts and seeds to see if that makes it any better before you take all of them out, you know, to try to make your life a little bit more, uh, less because it's like when people take all of these things out and then they're uncomfortable, they, they give up and then Hmm. it it works. So you have to sort of ease into things.
0: Right. And then you go out and have some like major cheat mail that has all the things and then you feel terrible.
1: Yeah. And then you're like, I don't know what did it to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just this restaurant. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that actually leads into a listener question that I had from for you um, about collagen. This is from Pogo Stick Joe, which I, I love that name. And He writes, what does Neely think about the efficacy of supplementing with collagen for strengthening fingers and or preventing finger injuries? Uh, I've been taking Fizzy Vantage supercharged collagen for around two years. I cannot say I've noticed any increase in strength, but I have also avoided finger injuries. So I'm not sure if it's placebo, but I figure it can't hurt. Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, So collagen isn't technically... The studies on it haven't been done on strength training. Like, yes, it is protein. And so like getting extra protein can help you recover and help you build muscle and like strengthen the tendons and ligaments. But mostly what you're getting from collagen is certain amino acids that we, or a a large amount of the amino acids that we don't get from flesh, like muscle meat. And so... Because we don't get it from anywhere because collagen comes from like the, the hooves, the bones, the, you know, like the sinew stuff that we don't really eat. And so we're missing a lot of it. And those amino acids help with inflammation. They help with uh, tissue growth and repair. So the fact that we're missing it from our diets. Yes. I think if you're not going to eat like bone broth and, chicken feet and stuff like that like yeah absolutely take it Hmm. and and even if you're a plant-based eater who's willing to make some concessions i think that that would be a good one and you can get a marine one that's what i take um if you're not into like land animals so anyway i don't think that it's made for strength it's it's mostly made for avoiding injury and repairing injury and in fact the studies have shown that if you take it like 30 minutes before doing a a really um directed PT session, like if you have a finger injury and you're doing a finger session for it, then it it will help direct that those amino acids toward that healing process. So I wouldn't have expected you to get stronger from the collagen, but it is really cool that you aren't getting injured or I don't know if you've healed from injuries I'm talking to Pogo Joe. Pogo sick Joe. But anyway, yeah, that's those are kind of my thoughts on that.
0: Okay. So he should keep taking it. Yeah.
1: Everybody should
0: take it. Okay. Everyone should take it. Okay, great.
1: If you can tolerate it, like my husband and he, it doesn't do good things for his stomach. So not everybody can take it.
0: Okay. So you mentioned that as a recommendation for me and then probiotics, what would that look like? You know, I know that there's some probiotics in yogurt and in kombucha, and I know you can take supplements as well, but I've never looked into that whatsoever. So what would you recommend for me? Or for someone who wants to, you know, improve their digestion or some of these skin issues or whatever else.
1: Yeah. Um, so there's a lot that goes into probiotics, but it's it's interesting because like all of us have sort of a different, you know, microbiome, and we all have a different profile, and some of us are missing certain strains, and some of us aren't, and and so optimally we would all get tests which um i got this test called ubiome one time it was like a 75 dollar test i just sent in my poop and they were like here are the probiotics that you have and the whatever and it turned out that i had like none of the two major ones that we all get from probiotic supplements I, like as a nutritionist, I was almost offended by that. I was like, what How is hell is this possible? So <laughs> I think that it's really important for people to know what they're missing and then take what they're missing. But the problem is that that's just not readily available. So what I recommend for people is I've seen this um, product called Zymogen. It's called, uh, it's X-Y-M-O-G-E-N. And you can only get it um, through a practitioner. So if you want to, you can use my name, Neely, as this is not self-promotion. You just can't get it unless you have a practitioner um, to get in there. And and there's one that's called ProBioMax Daily. And I've seen it work for people who have like severe constipation or severe diarrhea who had been taking probiotics off of the shelf of a grocery store and they didn't do anything for them. And it's so you have to get it from a good source, first of all. And then as far as like the yogurt and the kombucha, and for me, like I get this uh, inner eco, which is like a coconut water based probiotic. All of those are going to have different strains in them. And they're not necessarily going to have those two big ones that we're all looking for. Hmm. And, um, so I recommend having a big or like as many sources as possible. But the problem with yogurt is that it's pasteurized. So a lot of those bacteria are killed. So I don't really use yogurt unless it's raw as a source of probiotic and, and some, you know, like there's going to be some in there. It's just not very much. So that was kind of a long winded answer to that, but they're all going to have some in them, but um you need to be like really consistent with it and go out and eat some dirt too. Cause that's where some of them live. Go
0: out and eat <laughs> some dirt. As
1: climbers, as climbers. I think it's cool that we're always like getting in the dirt. Cause it's, it's important. I think.
0: Yeah. Do you think you climb harder in rifle if you eat the dirt from rifle? <laughs> Does the specific dirt matter?
1: I don't know, but we should tell the people there that that's the case. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, how is nutrition a part of training beta these days? Is that something that you envisioned from the start is combining these worlds?
1: Yeah. Well, so what I've done for a long time is just see clients since 2013, I've been, or 14, I've been seeing exclusively climbers as my clients and, um, and then now, though, I'm sort of stepping away from that and I'm pretty much only going to be seeing people through my nutrition program. And this is blatant self-promotion. I, I'm opening <laughs> yeah, up please. My, my program next month in August. And um, if you are interested in working with me, you can go to trainingbeta.com slash nourish because that's going to be the name of the program but I did it last year and I had like 75 people go through the program and it was actually incredible how much um, how much benefit they could have without seeing me for hours at a time we have we I had like 15 minute office hour sessions with them and then group calls and then they have this big program that I pre-recorded in there so they have like you know almost five hours worth of videos to watch about the basics of nutrition for climbers. And I think that that's the, the way for me to make the most impact because there really aren't that many nutritionists who are specializing in rock climbers who are also like really avid climbers themselves. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of where I've gone with it.
0: That's so cool. I, I would love to hear more about Training Beta, how it started and evolved. You know, you mentioned doing the podcast as an afterthought and now it's wildly successful and has 5 million downloads. Did that, was that a surprise to you? Did, did that become like kind of the most successful backbone of this whole thing? Or um, I guess that's the part of training beta that I've always been the most exposed to. So I'm curious, um, what surprised you as the company started to take off and evolve?
1: Yeah, that definitely surprised me. I didn't expect it to grow like it did. But at the time, it was just me and Caloose who had climbing mm. podcasts. Uh, that's the normal cast for anybody who doesn't know. Um, and so uh, I think people were just sort of hungry for information and I was really surprised. I think in the first month I had like a thousand downloads or something, but that, so that has been a huge source of, you know, like helping people be guided to the site, but also the blog, I mean, the blog has been kind of important in that way too and and i know that a lot of people think that blogging is dead but i look at my numbers still and i'm like oh my gosh there are just thousands of people reading these articles just because and that's how i get a lot of my information too like for internet marketing and training still you know i i look at blogs myself so it's it's been both of those things and then my email community has been really important too hmm.
0: And how did you start to collaborate with people as far as uh, the business? Is that something that you had in your mind from the start or did you have to wait until like you reached a certain amount of revenue to be able to outsource some of this stuff? I mean, I know you have a couple people contributing to your blog, but can you talk me through kind of the evolution and and some of the big steps along the way with training beta?
1: Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I've kind of forgotten, honestly, but (laughs) it was so long ago. Yeah. But That's fair. I think in the beginning, it was just my husband and I writing for the site because I was really into writing, like I said. And so that wasn't a problem for me. But then I hired some people and just started paying people for articles. Um, and yeah, we had to start having revenue before I have I've never gone into debt with this company and I I don't really plan on it. I just work off of the resources that I have. And I know that that's probably stupid. (laughs) Like the successful business people are like, well, uh, you need to kind of invest, but that's just the way that I've always done it.
0: It sounds smart to me. I'm a bootstrapper for sure. Like I want to have, yeah, I want to make sure that I can deliver on every single thing that I do and have the money coming in before I put it towards the next thing that I'm working on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, especially when you're using this, The money that you're making to actually pay your bills yeah like it's just a lot scarier to take out loans or and i definitely don't want investors just because like i said i don't like bosses
0: (laughs) are you still trying to grow training beta or are you happy with where it's at
1: i am trying to grow right now yes that's part of why i took a step back from the podcast is so that i can focus on having a plan for it instead of just winging it all the time Um, and being on like a regular schedule with things instead of just climbing all the time. And (laughs) so, yeah, I'm like, well, I'm at a certain age and I should probably be more successful. So that's where I'm going with it now. (laughs) Really divulging a lot to you guys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's funny to hear you say that, that you probably should be more successful by now. Do you mean with the business or with your climbing or what do you mean by that? Cause from the outside, it seems like your business is incredibly successful.
1: Well, um, you it's not so successful that I feel satisfied, okay. I guess. And I know that it can be because I know that we provide good services and you know, we put a lot of hearts into what we provide to the community. And I just think that coming from the paleo world too, there were some just amazing successes that my peers had and that honestly I had, and coming into this, I had really high hopes, but turns out the climbing community is very different than the paleo community. Mm. Uh, So it's been definitely a, it was a steep learning curve being like, Oh, I can't do that here. You know, like Mm. people are, people are much more discerning here. They're, more skeptical, you know, it's harder. It's harder in the climbing world.
0: That's really interesting. So you had like a pretty high bar when you started this company. That's fascinating to me because I'm coming from the opposite where I'm like, oh my God, someone downloaded one of my episodes. Like maybe, (laughs) maybe someone else will too, you know, and uh, I've struggled with having too low of a bar and and realizing like, okay, I have this amazing opportunity to grow this thing and build this thing and, and serve more people with it. And create a career for myself, and I really want to do that, but it's hard for me to believe that it's possible so yeah that's that's really interesting that you had those examples from the start from yeah the paleo world,
1: definitely, you know, I was in masterminds with other business owners who were making like you know seventy k a month <laughs> and, right <laughs> and there were months when I had made that at paleo plan, and so it was yeah, it was definitely a rude awakening, especially because as a business owner and a climber who's so into climbing, it was, it's easy to just be like, mm, I'm just going to go climbing today. And mm. this month. bye. <laughs> <laughs> were so,
0: you, were you able to do that? Have you been able to balance building this thing with your own climbing?
1: Oh yeah. I awesome. mean, it's been the best and that's been, <laughs> that's great source of motivation for me to continue it because I've helped Matt Pincus do that. And, Mm. you know, Shana Savoy does our social media and like other, all, all the other people along the way who this business has supported and they're all climbers and they're all getting after it, you know? So that was a big part of why I wanted to do this. But yeah, I mean, I've spent months in Europe and months in the red and months at, at rifle and, you know, take weekdays off to go project things. And it's been amazing. It's been dreamy. Mm. And I know that I'm very fortunate because a lot of people try to start businesses and it just doesn't work. I think I was just in the right place at the right time mm. with a little bit of know-how, you know?
0: Yeah. You you did have a little bit of know-how, but I think I was thinking about this actually, as I was looking at your website and thinking about this interview and thinking about my own podcast and how that's grown and I mean, how much of it do you think comes down to just deciding, like having an idea that that is a need that is going to serve people, but then just deciding to commit to it long enough to make it work? You know, because so many people kind of half-ass a new podcast and they put out a couple episodes and then they wait a month and then they don't, or, or you know, they start a new blog and it fizzles out really quickly. Um, yeah. Yeah. How much of it is just committing, do you think?
1: I think it's pretty much all just committing and and I think that my husband is a good um, contrast to me because you also have to have an entrepreneurial spirit and I know that that's a cliche thing to say, but my husband wants a boss, my husband wants security he wants a paycheck he wants you know benefits, and he's willing to go through the struggle that uh, so many of your listeners. Go through to get that, and that is the trade-off for his happiness. Whereas, through the first four years or so, while we were running it together, and he didn't have that, he was miserable. And oh, I was wow. like, "Oh, this is going to be fine. It's totally fine. It's totally working. <laughs> and, and if this doesn't work, then something else will work. You know, like <laughs> I'll just have to do this and this and this." And and so I was always very sure. I've always been very sure of it. And so I think that you have to have like some sort of ridiculous, um, delusional confidence in yourself. <laughs> <laughs> he was always like, "Are you sure I'm getting a job?" <laughs> and then he got a job. Thank God, because that's that's a great thing to have in a couple with one entrepreneur and one um, person with a job.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that having a, having a bit of stability and a safety net there. What does he do now?
1: He works for Salesforce. He's a software engineer. Okay. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Very different. Very different.
1: Yeah. He also helps me like training beta wouldn't exist without him. Like he created it.
0: (laughs) I want to ask you more about the podcast in particular. You know, you just stepped away from this role of the host and you talked about why you've got all, you know, this new nutrition plan you want to focus on and uh, this larger business that's now much bigger than just yourself but I, you know, you've know, you hosted more than 160 episodes with amazing coaches and world-class performers and climbers and all these incredible people. And I would love to hear what some of the biggest takeaways have been for you. Um, and, and there's so many ways we can tackle this, but I guess I'll just leave, leave it with that for now and then um, I can ask more specific questions. But have there been any top things, most memorable, either training things or life lessons or anything that have come out of all these episodes for you?
1: Yeah. You sent this in an email to me, this question. And I was like, so I've been mulling it over since then. Um, There's been so much, I've learned so much from the podcast and things that are like almost common knowledge now. And partly I think because they were on the pod, like, I don't want to say that, but
0: No, I think it's true.
1: When I interviewed Adam Ondra in 2014, I think it was he. He was like, "Well, the way that I won the bouldering and the sport climbing World Cup, or like he did the he was like the champion of both one year." Mm -hmm. I was like, "How did you do that?" And he was like, "Well, the stronger you get, the more endurance you have." And he explained it, and I was like, "Oh my god, (laughs) that." Is brilliant. <laughs> you know, and it, I was like, my mind, just sort of floated. And then, and then from there, you know, everybody started training like that. And, and I think he was just ahead of his time. I think he was training with Pachi at the time. But anyway, that was one of the things. And a lot of the things that he said were important to me. And then, you know, interviewing Steve Bechtel like six times or something, he explained the nonlinear approach to me. And that was so different than from, than like the Anderson brothers approach, Mm. which everybody was kind of doing at the time. And so that was this new, exciting thing that we could focus on, but there were other things like all of the injury protocols, like Esther Smith's finger injury protocol was just groundbreaking for a lot of climbers. I had so many people come up to me and be like, thank you so much for that episode. My finger is better now because of it, you know, and.
0: Hey, me too. I'm going to include, yeah, seriously, I had my, my worst finger injury to date. It was a really bad ring finger pulley injury. And I, I mean, this is only like three or four years ago, but there was almost nothing on the internet at the time for really how to recover these things. And I had the hardest time believing that it was going to become hundred percent again someday, but yeah, it was her loading protocol from your podcast that really helped.
1: Yeah, it was incredible. And when she laid it out, I was like, this is just so opposite from what we think we should do, which is just rest and tape and ice and ibuprofen, you know? And so uh, those kinds of things and, and, you know, mindset stuff too. I've done a lot of mindset podcasts and they've really helped me, you know, be a better person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? As you dig deeper into improving your climbing, you kind of inevitably realize that, oh, I need to work on improving myself as a human being.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I need to chill out.
0: (laughs) Is that your thing?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like being too hard on myself and, Mm. and, you know, listening to professional climbers on the podcast, just talk about how they tried something 95 times or over four seasons and never stopped believing that they could do it or went through the struggles and then came out and I was like, okay, well, my 10 tries on this thing is nothing compared to <laughs> what they've done. So I need to just chill out and not and stop being so hard on myself. So things mm-hmm. things like that. I mean, I'm sure you've learned a ton in your episodes too.
0: So much. Yeah. And as you were talking, it is it's fascinating how quickly things change. Like that those ideas were groundbreaking in 2014 is shocking.
1: I know, right? Yeah. I know. Because they really
0: do seem like common sense now. But I mean, I can think back to 2011, 2012. That's when I was, you know, getting out of college and scouring the internet and just looking for anything, any information. And there was literally almost nothing on the internet as far as how to train for climbing. Uh, yeah. The rock climbers training manual hadn't even been written yet. Steve was just starting to write some blog articles, but Strong was brand new.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
0: crazy to see how it's changed.
1: It is. It's crazy to see how many people are stronger now because of it. Mm. I'm like, what have I created? All these people are on my projects now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm joking. I, I'm really happy for people. I think that climbing is so, it's, it can be so important for people's confidence and our self-esteem and our happiness levels. It can do all all the opposite things too, but I'm psyched to see people getting stronger and getting after it you know yeah we just don't have that as adults you can't just like continue playing basketball or football or you know totally. we don't have anything after high school and college and this is kind of it for me
0: yeah that's yeah totally what are some of the things that you've implemented yourself um i, I was curious about that as far as you know training, following specific programs that have really helped you or made a difference or specific exercises. I know it's a little tricky because you've had quite a run of injuries over the last few years, but I'd love to, we can, we can get into that in a second for sure. But I'd love to hear if there's any, um, things you've implemented either from the training or tactics or performance side of things that have really improved your own climbing.
1: Yeah, definitely. I had like, okay, in 2000, I actually don't know what year it was. Maybe 10 or something i climbed my hardest rock climb ever maybe it was 11 or 12 i don't remember
0: was that path
1: yeah it was the path the 13 c and rifle and um i like didn't even train i i was i kind of trained a little but i just mostly climbed in order to climb that thing and and actually if i'm being honest i lost a little bit of weight right before i did it um that was during my sort of disordered eating behavior times. So, which is a learning, learning, uh, story in its own, but anyway, totally digressing here. Um, I forgot what I was even talking about. Oh, what I did to the train. So I then had those injuries. I had left shoulder, shoulder surgery, right shoulder surgery, had to come back from those each time. And then, um, in 2018 and 19, I got the strongest I think I've ever been. And it was because it's so funny. I do all these podcasts and I'm like, well, I could make my own training program, but instead I asked my friend, Alex Steiger for a, a program and she was like, okay, do this. So I just did it and I got really strong. So like TRX, a finger protocol and deadlifting, some shoulder presses and wrist curls, I think really, really helped with endurance, like forearm endurance for me. Hmm. Um, and then, not even doing that many laps or anything on climbs, just climbing hard as often as possible and bouldering. And I've never climbed or trained more than like four days a week. So it was just a matter of getting on a program and being really consistent with all of those things.
0: So the wrist curls, what was that like with the dumbbell? What did that look like?
1: Yeah, well, I started doing them because I actually got this weird tendonitis in my forearm and i went to a pt and he was like well what hurts it and i was like well wrist curls probably and he was like well do wrist curls <laughs> and, that, and and to just to bring that back to what i've learned from the podcast like tyler tyler nelson talks all about that you know for overcoming injuries is like finding the thing that hurts it and then doing that um and and i'm gonna misstate what he says but so I was started doing wrist curls and I realized that my endurance was getting stronger. And so it's with dumbbells. I started with five pounds and made my way up to 20 pounds in like a matter of a month. And all of a sudden my endurance was just much stronger and my forearms got better. So wow. that's a big difference. I recommend that to anybody. And then reverse wrist curls too, cause it's good PT for okay. us.
0: What was, the, what was like a rep and set protocol that you were doing with those? Do you I was just doing
1: three sets of 10 okay. on each side. And yeah. I'm, now I'm doing those for um, my wrist rehab and it's definitely helping okay. for my wrist too.
0: Yeah. You had wrist surgery?
1: Yeah. I had wrist surgery in November and then in January and then in May of Dang. this year.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of cutting.
1: <laughs> it's a lot of cutting. It's all in the same line. They cut the same Dang. line three times.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. In hindsight, were, were the shoulder, either of the shoulder injuries or the wrist injury were, was any of that stuff preventable? You think anything you wish you'd done?
1: Yeah, I, I've talked about the, I talked about this in a podcast episode with Alex Steiger actually recently where we talked about our injuries, but, um, the shoulders were, I was totally fine. And then I did one of those paleo, um, I did like a big project for paleo plan And I was working like a hundred hours a week for three weeks and over a laptop on the floor, just hunched over. And all of a sudden, both of my shoulders were just totally effed and I couldn't climb super painful. And I had bone spurs and torn labrums. And I'm sure my labrums had already been torn, but I think the bone spur, I think my shoulders just moved (laughs) and I couldn't move them back. And then the wrist. Yeah. Like I, with, the pandemic, I was like, I'm going to do a TRX handstand as my pandemic goal. And then I did it. And then my feet were in the TRX straps and I was in the air and I fell. Oh, and no. so I just tore the ligament off my bone and my wrist. Oh, and my I, God. I'm like pretty good at handstands, you know? And so this was like next level challenge for me. Um, but yeah, I should never have done that. It was so dumb and I was so scared to do it. And I should have just listened to myself
0: damn did you film it at least
1: yeah i did (laughs) i filmed me doing it and then five seconds later i fell (laughs) Mm. (laughs) it was so stupid
0: oh man have you shared that because that might go viral
1: yeah i put it on my instagram okay
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) you can tell you're bummed yeah that's rough so where are you now are you still recovering from the wrist
1: yeah. The risk, I don't think it'll ever be the same, but, and my other one got messed up in it too. So I'm, I kind of deal with PT with both of them. Okay. I kind of gave up on climbing for a while there. Um, and now I, just this week I got psyched again. So I think I can come back. Like, I don't doubt that I can be as strong as I was or stronger, but it's just going to take some time and motivation. I just got lazy really.
0: Well, I imagine that's really hard. You put so much energy into your climbing. I'm using podcast air quotes in a way, just doing training beta and having all these conversations and putting out all of this content. How have you dealt with the ebbs and flows in your own climbing motivation? I imagine that's been a challenge along the way. You've been doing this for years now, years and years.
1: Yeah. Um, I. Uh, there were times like a decade ago where... I thought to myself, if I quit climbing, I'm going to lose everything. Like, you know, when you get low motivation, and you're kind of like, who am I without climbing? I want to kind of explore that. And I, I would get really scared that I would like lose my friends and lose my everything. And over the years, I just realized that like, it doesn't really matter how into climbing I am. I'm people are still gonna love me and I'm, I'm still able to do this business even though it revolves around climbing. Um, and I've just gotten easier and easier on myself about, like kinder to myself about my motivation levels. And I just let myself take breaks when I need to. And having those surgeries has been really, you know, confidence inspiring because even though I had to take off months from climbing and like literally lose all of my muscle, I could come back and be stronger than before. Mm. So even in my forties, you know, like people think that once you're over a certain age, it's over, but I've never <laughs> been stronger than when I was 41. So.
0: That is awesome. That yeah. is great to hear. How did, so you talked about 2018, 19 and that plan that you followed from Alex, how did that play into your climbing?
1: Um. I mean, I went to the red and had the best Season I've ever had there and that doesn't mean I was doing anything impressive I like you know did a 13a and almost on-site at a 12d which was really good for me and did a bunch of 12s on-site and I was and then I I also was working on tomb raider that year which is a 13d and rifle that I had spent a couple seasons dabbling with and I had never done very well on it and I was just consistent and got stronger and was able to make really good links on it before the season was over. My goal was to two hang it. And I did that. So, I mean, I'm not like, I, I understand where I lie in the pecking order of climbing, but for me, it was a really, really good year. And I was able to do like 13B and 13A really quickly that year a lot.
0: Yeah. Well, no, that's, that's incredible. Um, And the pecking order of climbing has gotten so ridiculous that You you can forget sometimes that you can still be proud of that. You know that's
1: that's pretty awesome. Like your best friends are Paige Clausen and Jonathan Siegrist. Right. (laughs) Who am I?
0: (laughs) Totally. Yeah. I feel I get the imposter syndrome all the time doing what I'm doing.
1: Yeah. For that same reason. And And that's why with the podcast and the site, I've always just thought of myself as like a conduit for information. I've never. Thought of myself as an as a elite climber you know Mm.
0: how do you think about tomb raider now does that still feel like unfinished business
1: um yes but i also am okay with never getting on it again (laughs) okay if i get to the point where i'm like really strong then i'll get on it but i would like to you know climb 12c again and 12D and then do my first 13A again and 13B. And if I can do a 13C again in my life, I would be really happy. But also this surgery, I've been like, if I don't ever climb those things again, I'm also okay Mm. as a human being. Like I am enough, which I've never really been able to say before.
0: Mm. That is awesome. I'd love to ask you, what has helped you get to that place emotionally and mentally is there have there been any resources specific books that you've read or or anything that you've done to work on that side of things because I think that's something that is incredibly relatable for a lot of people listening
1: yeah unfortunately I think it is um I struggle with depression and so when I get really I've only had like a few major bouts of it but when I get into that place I I'm totally non-functional, like legitimately, I can't do anything. And um, having gone through three of those in the past decade has just put everything in perspective where I'm like, I get to go climbing. I am like capable of climbing right now. And even in the times when I wasn't climbing, my friends still loved me. And I was still able to live a life and I have my music and I have my dog and I have my husband and I have my family and I have all these other things that are really, really fulfilling for me. So I just try to like cultivate other things in my life so that I'm not so dependent on climbing as my full identity, Hmm. which I was for a really long time, which is ridiculous when you're like projecting 12A, not that there's (laughs) any. You know, uh, no, I feel the same.
0: Like, I feel the same. I'm like, w- like without the podcast, my obsession level with climbing seems totally ridiculous. Like l- I'm really grateful that this has kind of validated it, especially with my parents and with my family. You know, they're kind of like, Oh, he's like actually doing something with this. Whereas before <laughs> it's like, Why are you so obsessed? You climb five thirteen that you know, you're you're climbing <laughs> these pro climbers warm up and struggling <laughs> yeah. on them. So <laughs>
1: I'm always quantifying it. I'm like, so Paige is climbing 14 D and I'm so, so she's two number grades in front of me and doing it way faster, you know, like on a regular basis.
0: So
1: Uh, you really just have to put into perspective, like it's fun, but who cares? Like people don't even, people don't even care what you're climbing except to compare it to their own climbing.
0: Totally. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> is ridiculous. Yeah, we're all so preoccupied with ourselves. We're all just <laughs> the protagonist in the story that is our own lives. So,
1: yes.
0: yeah, no one cares. And you can forget, too, like, you know, you're friends with Paige Glasson, but she's one of the best climbers in the world. And she's yes, so I friendly know. and so approachable. It's easy to forget that. But,. Yeah. You know, we don't we would never say that. Like if you play soccer in high school and you're pretty good at it, you're not comparing yourself to Pele or whoever else, right?
1: And if you are, you're very miserable like I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's amazing. How how often do you play the piano these days?
1: Well, I just started again after wrist surgery cuz mm. it really hurt. So <laughs> Right. Oh, know, you know, a couple few times a week, but Um, I also just really like listening to music and going on walks and I don't know, how often are you doing music?
0: Hardly ever. Mm. I, uh, I did, I recorded some stuff. I got really motivated, uh, last Thanksgiving and I bought a keyboard, which I was really excited about because I'd had a guitar for a long time, but I don't like playing guitar as much anymore. I find it harder focusing on, on training and climbing to have the dexterity to play guitar well and that's always frustrating whereas I can kind of plunk around on the piano a little bit easier and so I got a keyboard and <laughs> I recorded some stuff and then I traveled I was at my my folks house when I did that and I brought them in my van and traveled for the last whatever that is 7 or 8 months with the guitar and the keyboard in the van because I was like I'm going to do it I'm going to have these instruments and that's going to make me play them more often and I did not touch either of those instruments oh, for like no. six months. Yeah. I just carried have, them around the country on this climbing yeah, van tour.
1: <laughs> carried those instruments and your guilt for not playing.
0: Exactly. With them. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know it's hard to have more than one strong passion at, at a time. It, it it is.
0: Right. And that's something I've worked on and am trying to be more kind to myself about actually. You know, because like I joked about at the start of the conversation, I kind of have this bucket list, you know, next career or or chapter of my life where I really focus on music and write some stuff. And I don't remember who it was, but I was listening to another podcast and someone was describing that they thought of their life in these like 10-year-long chunks, you know, rather than feeling like they have to do everything now. Like I can focus exclusively on the podcast and my own climbing for 10 years. And that's an incredible amount of time, you know, that can be such a rich experience. I can get so much out of that. And then that only puts me in my early forties and I can have another whole decade of focusing on music if I want to, or find a way to integrate them or whatever it is. But I've, I've been really thinking about that as a way to take the pressure off of feeling like I have to do everything now. I really struggle with that. You know, like I have all these ideas for the podcast, and I feel like I have to do them all now, but they're not going anywhere. They're still going to be there in a year or two as this thing grows. So yeah. Um, yeah, I think music feels like it's a little bit on the back burner for now. And I can still enjoy it and play it, play instruments or sing uh, here and there when motivation strikes or when I'm you know, hanging out in tent sleep under the pavilion late at night or whatever else. But, um, But yeah, I don't think I'm going to take them back on the road with me. When yeah. I when I leave my folks' house, I'm visiting them right now. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that's a really sustainable way to look at life. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen on year ten when you're like, all right, I got to wrap this up and do music. Now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll see, we'll right. See but, but yeah, at least it's nice to not be overwhelmed by the idea of it all the time.
0: This is a random question. This goes back to your Instagram bio. Do you have a favorite reality TV show that you're watching right now?
1: Yeah. There's this show, oh man, I'm going to forget the name of it, but it's on Hulu and it's about this these people in Ireland who take old Irish buildings, including castles, and renovate them. It is amazing. Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> that is so cool. I'd love to see a renovated castle.
1: Yeah, but I'm also into like you know, the Bachelorette. I have people over every week to watch it. And I mean, I I started that trend in Vegas too. You started what? That trend in Vegas too. People have there's a bachelor and bachelorette party every week in Vegas because of me. This
0: girl. <laughs> still going so, strong.
1: Yeah, still still going strong. <laughs> Wait, why did you ask that? Did you know that I was into reality TV? Did I say that somewhere?
0: Yeah, it's on your Instagram profile. Oh, right. Got it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's
1: pretty dorky. My husband thinks I'm really lame, but I don't really care.
0: Well, you and like half of the world, so it's it's fine. (laughs) And are you guys in Boulder or Denver these days?
1: We bought a house in Longmont. Okay. And we love it here. I didn't think I would like leaving Boulder, but... It's really nice to have a home, Um, Mm. but we're also maybe about to buy a house in Vegas so that instead of having children, we can have a house and go there in the winters.
0: (laughs) Is that the decision? Either children or another house?
1: (laughs) Well, the decision to not have children was an easy, uh, yeah, an easy justification for the house in vegas and also having that stable job that that my husband has really helps with that too so Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. can i ask about that i'm i'm fascinated by that because i'm 32 and i think growing up i always wondered if i'd want to have kids and it always felt like maybe but never a clear feeling either way and the older i get i think the less i think the more i'm leaning towards like i think i really want the freedom of not having kids And I feel a little weird about that. I don't know why. Maybe it's how I was raised or cultural or whatever else. But was that an easy decision for you? Did that always feel like a clear?
1: No. No. Okay. (laughs) Two weeks ago, I was, uh, (laughs) two two weeks ago, I asked my husband if I'm 43. I was like, so if we're going to do this, we should probably do this Um, or we should adopt. And I was like looking into adoption. So I I definitely have gone through periods where I thought that I definitely wanted to have a kid, um, and then definitely not, and then definitely, and so I've gone back and forth. But my good friend Robin Meslowski just made me see it very clearly for the first time. And she was like, look, she's a very quantitative person. And she was like, if 40% of you wants to have a kid and 60% of you doesn't want to have a kid, then... You just don't have a kid, but it's not 100% either way. And Mm. that's okay. But I was like, oh, and that's exactly the percentages that it always is. And so I'm just like, it's just a clear decision for me. Because even when I'm looking into adoption, I'm like 40% into it. So no, I think it's one of the hardest decisions in the world for most people, for a lot of people, for some people. And there are a lot of societal pressures, especially for a woman. Mm. And will I regret this decision? Maybe, but it's just right for me, especially as a person who deals with depression and anxiety. Like I'm just not fit to be a mother sometimes. Mm.
0: Oh, thanks for sharing that. That's That really resonates and I can't remember who said it, but someone once told me like it's drawing the same distinction. It's not that you want a kid or don't want a kid because I always I always kind of felt like what is wrong with me that I don't want children is that make me like a bad human being or what's the deal with that but he's like no that's he's like I want kids I think that'd be a beautiful enriching experience but I really really don't want kids because I really want that freedom and all these other things that 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 um that that path leads to and for him that's the, the not wanting kids wins out just by a little bit it's that 60 40 that you're describing and and that really yeah. That really resonates with me. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. I'm so glad she said it, but I get it. It's not an easy decision and it's easy to feel like you're a bad person or whatever, but hmm. I don't know. I, yeah. Like I said, I don't want a boss and I think kids are your boss for like 20 years. <laughs> right. And yeah. I, I like sleeping, like I really, like I, I like really sleeping too. I know. Yeah. I, I love babies. But kids, uh, not as much.
0: <laughs> Tell me about Willa.
1: Aw. <laughs> Willa is our little puppy, and she's six months old, seven months old. And she has made my life very bad at times. Um, <laughs> but <also> very good.
0: <laughs> she's only going to be a boss for a year, not 20. <laughs> yeah.
1: But we lost our other dog, Zala, last month.
0: Oh, um, I'm sorry.
1: Thanks. Yeah, she was 13 and she was perfect. And so it's very difficult. I'm always like, Why can't you be more like Zala? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> She's really sweet though. That's a project too. I was like, Oh, can't climb. May as well get a puppy.
0: <laughs> well, that's interesting. What are some other ways that projecting has played into your life?
1: I mean everything. I like doing puzzles. I like playing Scrabble. I like learning all the Scrabble words. I like, uh, I don't know. Even just training is a project. You're like, how much stronger can I get? I guess, uh, designing my house. We renovated our house and I did like most of the design work on it. Um, those are all like awesome projects and even decorating my house. I, 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 i was talking to steiger about this and she's like i'm just my brain i have to have an obsession and she does like she's either chess or break dancing or climbing and oh, I think that's both, an
0: awesome combo
1: yeah i know she's amazing but i i think we're both like that and that's why like we get stuff done
0: mm. so where's longmont again remind me it's nearby boulder oh it's Denver.
1: Just eight minutes away from boulder it's just how, north how many minutes 15.
0: Okay. I had a listener question about that. This is from Howard and he writes, yay, Neely, <laughs> as a fellow Denverite, I was wondering what is your favorite local gym and what is your favorite local Front Range crag?
1: Uh, I, I've always gone to the BRC, the okay. Boulder Rock Club, and I've never really strayed much from that. I started going to Evo and Louisville for a while, but I haven't really been there for a little bit. And then my favorite crag i i have a hard time motivating around here to be quite honest but i do love the Flatirons, and i went to staunton the other day and i really love it there too so but i, I think the Flatirons have like really interesting rock
0: yeah yeah they do i'd like to climb <clears throat> i'd like to climb there more it looks really appealing i've never been to seal rock but that looks really cool
1: yeah there's the best 13b in the world there oh so really I'm- late, great Derek Kroll. Yeah. Super Tuscan. It's amazing.
0: Oh man. I would, I'll have to go climb that. Yeah. yeah. For Derek. That's yeah. great. Is rifle still your favorite place?
1: Uh, well, no, I would say the red river gorge is my favorite place, but rifle is up there just cause it felt like a second home to me for so long. But mm. I, I have a little bit of anxiety around a lot of people and it's c- kind of crowded there lately. And so, um, unless I can go there during the week, then it's kind of not great for me. Hmm. It's great for everybody else because there's not me there. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Rifle's great. Have you been there?
0: I have. Yeah, I've been spending more time there over the last couple of years and falling in love with it.
1: It's funny, on the podcast, I kept talking about it and people would write into me and be like, stop talking out rifle
0: oh.
1: <laughs> telling the world to go there and I was like oh my god you're right
0: <laughs> scratch that I'll edit this out don't pay attention everybody don't go to rifle <laughs> do you how often do you get recognized at the crag? is it hard for you to just go about your climbing day these days
1: it's pretty often actually It's is amazing. it yeah like in Spain, in Norway, in the red, oh, in awesome. everywhere I go. And in a lot of times I think people don't say anything, but they just look at me <laughs> weird. But then sometimes <laughs> people will be like, are you Neely? And, and that's amazing. I feel so special when people say that. <laughs> that's you? Awesome.
0: It's starting to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's starting to happen. And I'm like, how did you, I never even show my face. Like, how do you even know?
1: I'm like, and, and a lot of times people will be like, I recognize your voice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They're like your lisp and your Wisconsin accent. <laughs> 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 Thanks. I've also had people say that they use me to fall asleep at night, which is not nice.
0: <laughs> that is hilarious. That is not good podcast feedback. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you have a great podcast voice (laughs) i mean
0: that part of it is nice you do have a very your voice is very easy to listen to which i guess maybe they're saying that but that is so funny yeah it's funny (laughs) um what else is happening with training beta what are you excited about what are you projecting with training beta right now
1: uh today i am putting out a a masterclass with Alex Steiger. She's doing an hour long masterclass next week, July nineteenth, about how to create your own training program. And you can find it at trainingbeta.com slash masterclass. It's free, totally free. And then she's also doing some teams uh, right now for two levels of climbers, like an intermediate and an advanced climbing team. And I know that I had like a ton of success when I've been on adult teams. And so we thought it would be a great idea for her to do a team of like 12 people where it's all virtual. And you can find that at trainingbetacom slash team. And then my nutrition program is coming up and that's slash nourish. So all of those things. And that's what I'm saying is like, right now I, I took a step back from the podcast and I'm just, I'm just focusing on like giving people really awesome resources and building these things with myself and with Alex and with Matt Pincus. That is it's awesome. Yeah, it's fun.
0: When you say you've had success being on teams as an adult, what do you mean?
1: I mean, when I did the path, I was actually on a cli- an adult climbing team. And I had a coach who would like push me to, you know, do things that I was scared of or climbs that I wasn't good at or, you know, more climbs than I wanted to do. And it really made a difference for me. So I think just having like team camaraderie and a coach who's going to push you is really helpful.
0: Yeah, that's super cool. Was that based out of the BRC or how yeah, did you? It, it,
1: okay. Yeah, it was uh, with uh, coach, Chris Wall. And he had had like a ton of success with his youth teams. So when he put that together, I was like, yeah, sure. I'll that's so it.
0: cool. I've never thought of that or heard of that, an adult climbing yeah. team.
1: I know that's we don't great. think of it, but, and Alex has had a ton of success with her youth teams too. So I know she'll do a good job with it. Awesome. Yeah. Uh,
0: This is a question I always ask my guests, Neely. What is something that you've been especially grateful for lately?
1: Well, I've been very grateful that my puppy isn't biting me very much (laughs) and that I got my psych back for climbing because I was really thinking that I was going to maybe quit Mm. and that I never have the motivation to even go outside again. And just in the last week I've gone out two times and I was really happy both times. And I only cried once and <laughs> <laughs> I only cried because I got so pumped. I haven't been that pumped in like over a year. It was just so uncomfortable. But anyway, um, those are the things I'm grateful for right now.
0: I don't know if I've ever gotten so pumped that I've cried that you must oh, have, that's incredible.
1: <laughs> I'm very overactive tear ducts.
0: So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, do you have any upcoming trips planned for climbing, anything that you're excited about? What's next for, for you as far as that goes?
1: On Thursday, I'm going to Lander for the Climbers Festival. We do a um, a clinic every year, Matt Pincus and I do, on, like, projecting. And and then after that, I'm kind of trying to get my friend Lisey to go to the Red with me this fall. But like I said, we're trying to buy a house in Vegas this winter, so I'm hoping to just be there a lot. Hmm winter and i want to go to rifle for a couple weeks so cool my friends are listening to this (laughs) hit me up (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: well i think i'll be there i'll be there for part of maybe part of our august and september into october so um
1: yeah it'd be fun to meet you in person if we
0: cross paths
1: yeah that'd be awesome
0: yeah anything else going on that you want to share with people before i let you go
1: um, no, I think we've covered my whole life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, this is really fun for me, Neely. I uh, I definitely listened to a lot of your episodes, and <clears throat> you know, you exposed me to so many of the people that have had a huge influence on me. So Steve Bechtel, you know, comes to the top of my mind, and a lot of these other early interviews and guests that you had on your podcast have really shaped me as a climber, and I'm sure have led to what I'm doing now. Even though. I hadn't necessarily thought of it that way but um I really appreciate all that you've built and all that you do and this is really fun because you know you you do share these little glimpses of your life and your own climbing and what's happening with you but you know we we don't get to see who this person is behind the podcast or the company that they've built and I hadn't heard a lot of um about a lot of the stuff that we've talked about your your past life so to speak before training beta so Really fun to talk with you. And thanks so much for coming on and sharing all this.
1: Well, I am honored to be asked on your show. So I appreciate it and for taking so much time with me. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. My pleasure. And uh, best of luck with your wrist recovery.
1: Thank you. All right. Talk okay. to you later. Bye. Bye.
0: Hey, friends, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. If you want to learn more about anything we talked about, I linked to all things training beta in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com, which you can find a link for right there in your podcast app if you scroll down. And as always, if you are loving the show and would like to help out, I would be honored to have your support. You can learn more at thenuggetclimbing.com support. There are a couple of ways to leave one-time donations if you want to do that. Or, of course, you can become a patron of the podcast. That'll get you access to more than 20 bonus episodes so far. And that will also get your questions featured in regular episodes, like you heard in this one. I'll let you know who's coming up on the show and you can submit questions anytime. We are just a handful of patrons away from our first big goal of $2,000 per month, which is amazing. That is a huge milestone, and I'd love for you to help us reach that goal. Every dollar truly helps, and it means a lot. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you all enjoy the final weeks of summer here in the Northern Hemisphere, and for those of you listening from far away places, I hope you're enjoying some winter sun temps down in the south. I really appreciate you guys and can't thank you enough for all of the ways that you guys support me and the Nugget Climbing Podcast. Much love to you all from Steven, still here in this parking lot, hiding in my van until the weather clears so I can go climbing. Thank you guys again. Have an amazing week. And we'll see you next time.